Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In the entertainment industry, different parts of the country are known for distinct strands of show business. If you want to be taken seriously in country music, you need to be in Nashville. If you want to be a player in the movie business, you need to be in L.A. For theater, it's New York. What about magic? If you wanted to be a magician, where would you move to? Las Vegas? How about New Orleans? Michael Dardone is one of America's highest-ranked magicians. He's won international awards and has choreographed illusions for movies and TV shows. He works across the country and around the world at comedy clubs and casinos, and he lives, guess where? That's right, correct, here in New Orleans. Mike, welcome out to lunch. Thank you so much. Now, Janet Wilson runs a comedy improv troupe that you can only hope that you never get to see. It's not that Funny Bones isn't funny, it is. It's just that the only place you're gonna see the Funny Bones improv comedians is in a children's hospital. Funny Bones audience is sick children, their families and caregivers. Janet Wilson, welcomed out to lunch. Thanks, Peter. Mike, as kids, most of us were fascinated by magic. Some of us were intrigued enough to want to learn a card trick, but very few of us are driven to become magicians. Other than the art of pickpocketing, which you've apparently perfected, I can't imagine that you got into magic for the money. Uh, what's the driving force that propels you to dedicate yourself to a career in magic? Well, it definitely was not for the money. Okay. It reminds me of the joke, uh, what does a large pizza and a magician have in common? They can barely feed a family of four. That's an old joke. Oh, you can fill that in with uh, any Jeez. type of career you want to make God, I was of. so glad that so there is an industry that tells industry jokes. This is great. Yeah, sure. Yes. But, you know, you can replace that with something else if you wanted to, like <laughs> accordion player or whatever. But, but what uh, was it doing? You, you were born in France. You grew up in uh, New Iberia. Where did this come from? The magic? Yeah. Uh, well, when I was little, this really huge guy with a pink umbrella like knocked our door down. Uh, it was my birthday. And he's <gasps> like, you need to come to Hogwarts. You're a wizard. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not, that was Harry Potter. No, it wasn't that interesting. The thing I just got, I just got hooked. Uh, and it, it definitely wasn't for the money because I never thought about making a career out of it. I just never stopped. It just made sense to just keep going. And if I'm going to be doing this, I may as well try to at least make it pay for itself. So initially, I was doing birthday party shows to pay for my speech and debate habit. Because um, every weekend in high school, I wanted to be at a different speech and debate tournament. And I had to figure out a way to pay for it. So I was doing birthday party shows. And it just grew from there. It just The skills just continued and made sense. Now, where would I uh, see you? I, I, sometimes I go to a, a conference I'm speaking at and I see... A magician there is that is that one of your gigs definitely there's a lot of conferences here in new orleans and i'll 
kind of go wherever I'm needed as far as there's trade shows and uh, cocktail parties for conventions and those types of groups. And locally, I'm very involved with the burlesque community, and so it's easy to catch me on a night in the quarter doing, say, a 10-minute act or emceeing a you burlesque You come show. out before the girls? Is that the chronology? Or? I have the task of trying to, usually around the middle, but unless I'm emceeing the show, I have the task of trying to keep their attention after they are oh, see, when really? they're to see the girls. Yeah. Boy, oh, that's mean. Yeah. yeah there's <laughs> but it, it's challenging, but it's made me a better performer. If I can keep your attention when there's scantily clad women around, then I'm doing a good job. <laughs> uh, Janet, you and I know each other from your previous job as membership manager for WWNO. You did an amazing job. I'm sure working in public radio has its lighter moments, its heartbreak, and its share of wrangling performers. But did anything in your 14 years in arts administration prepare you for managing comedic entertainment in hospitals? You know, oddly, yes. Um, what it didn't prepare me for was the emotional side of it. It's one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had in my life when, we, when I go to the shows and um, watch the performers relieve some stress for the kids and their parents, and it's just... Amazing. But the administrative side of things, yeah, it's put me right where I need to be, I think. Wow. Now, um, how many people are in? This is an improv <coughs> troupe, so they're mm -hmm. technically don't have any uh, script or idea what's going right, to happen. That's right, right. Every show is brand new, and we, we start the show off explaining that to the kids, that this is not rehearsed, and you are going to make the show happen. So the show starts with the spinning of the wheel. <coughs> so there's a big wheel with all the games that we play on it, and then the children spin the wheel, and when it lands, the improvisers play the game with the kids. They're definitely involved, and the parents, too. Everybody that's in the room wow. participates in the show. And uh, now, you, uh, how many children's hospitals do you work with in this region? Um, right now, in New Orleans, we're at four, and we do some breakout performances with with um, places like Angel's Place. We're not there constantly, but we do go there occasionally. So we'd see a children's hospital. <coughs> children's we're hospital. Uptown. We're at Tulane, women's and children. We're at um, Ronald McDonald House and Oshner. Now, you are a uh, technically a non nonprofit. We People are. could... Could donate, yes. Yeah. And um, that is what we're working on right now is building out our corporate base. So we're looking for corporate donations, too. And, and what, do you, what is your relationship? You're an independent company uh, that you, I guess, partner with, with hospitals? Is that the term you Correct. Um, so Jolene Thaler founded Funny Bones in 2008 in Chicago. And we're still, in, we're still operating in Chicago, too, by the way, and, and four hospitals up there. And we do 10 shows a month between the two cities. And we work very closely with the Child Life Department. And the Child Life Department is um, responsible for making the, the children and their families stay a little more bearable while they're in the hospital. And so we communicate with them and have set up our shows through them, through wow. each one. And so the parents are often there when you're... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... So you've got two different markets in one room. That's right, kind right, of... Right, uh, right. They, uh, that's a little <laughs> tough. They, uh, right. and I, and I've got to ask you, I mean, uh, Michael obviously is... A, it does a lot of comedy and, and such, but this is a very different kind of comedy. Is it a special kind of person that can do this? That's a really good question. Michael actually is one of our performers. Oh, <laughs> and I, what I've, I've seen his adult. He does yeah. burlesque and, and sick children. children. That, yep. is, that is a uh, run sometimes, the gamut. Sometimes in the same day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to learn to adapt. What I've seen happen um, since I've been involved is people showing up. For, they're, they're all work full-time. Everybody works full-time, and they're volunteer improvisers who've been trained. They know what they're doing. Oh, so the, um, <coughs> during the rest of the day, they could They have go to their job. Wow. And I've seen people show up a little stressed out and not really into it. And then that will spins, and people get involved, and their whole personality just changes. And I think it's therapeutic for them, too, for everybody involved. Wow. 
That is that is wild. Now you, um, one of the things that grabbed me, Mike, of, of what you do is the idea that you, um, oh, the the consulting to the movies and TVs. What what is that? There's, there's a magic scene, and you want to make sure they're doing it the way it really is in real life. Is that what it is? Right. Well, in some cases, you want to be accurate because you're maybe displaying how a magician would think or work. But in, in some cases, you're trying to perform some magic and have it look good on camera. So there's a whole movie magic, as we know about, to it. And sometimes it's easy to just cheat and put something you know, out yeah. of the camera shot. But other times, they do want to actually see the person applying skill. So I've been both a hand double, where I'm doing the slight <laughs> as the character, and I've also consulted with the actor to teach them a specific trick that they need to perform and pull off for the camera and look as if they know what they're doing. In one case, it was a 10-year-old boy for the movie The Lucky One. I had, oh, he had to yeah. learn a card trick. So I got to, to work with him and, and train him. Where do you get the bookings? Like I noticed, for instance, you do uh, pep rallies at the, at the Sugar Bowl and all. How do people find out about you? How does it work? Well, word of mouth and exposure and developing a fan base is obviously important. And that's pretty much the, the main question to the game of how do you make it a business and not just a crazy hobby? You know, how do I go back to my guidance counselor and go, hey, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I did it. Like, what are you talking about? College. <laughs> College. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's taken time. That, that takes a lot of time because you have to put in just as much work in actually learning your skill and the performance end of it as you do the, the business end of it. So um, just through working with different agencies, through uh, – marketing to the target people that you want to be performing for and being accessible being people being able to find you through social media and online and of That's course what I was say, my website's never been where it needs to be it's always right. in the works and one day I'll be proud of it but uh, at least people can locate me I would and you're kind of a one man band i mean so you've had to do a lot with social media i would imagine yes yeah it's that and it's it's difficult to keep up with it but in this day and age you have to i, I often wonder if I wasn't a performer, how often would I check Facebook? Like, how much would I actually be <laughs> twitting or whatever you call it? Like, I probably wouldn't be that concerned. Well, now, you know, we're talking about money, so I have to ask you, what is the pickpocket act? So, <laughs> and it's funny hearing people call me a pickpocketer because I have to remind myself, oh, that's true. That, that is some skills I've acquired and gotten pretty <laughs> Don't good Don't tell the Guardians Council uh, that. That's really and, nice. yeah. <laughs> But, um, and it's funny to say I didn't develop that skill for money. And... Uh, <laughs> which probably a large percentage of pickpocketers, that was the reasoning behind it. It kind of makes sense. Like, I need money. Yeah. Oh, you know what I could do? But for me, it was just an, another amazing skill because I don't, I don't get any joy of – I've accidentally kept people's watches because I have ADD and I'll get distracted <laughs> and, you know, That's I'm great. like performing at a table, steal a watch, someone says something, I go into a different routine, and then like 30 minutes later I reach for my pocket I go, oh, no, and I'm trying to find the guy. But I don't – I see you wearing 12 watches today. I was going to ask you about yeah, that. No, these are all mine. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, there's a thrill in returning that object and that person realizing that you've invaded their personal space. And really, there's not much that can follow that. As, as magical as a lot of the effects that I do are, when you've actually taken something off of someone, it puts them in a whole other state of mind and realization of what can be possible. Because everybody assumes, oh, yeah, it happens on TV. That wouldn't – I would yeah. know something. I would feel something. <coughs> and uh, And you – you don't. I mean, sometimes, you know, not, not 100%. No well, how, is, do you, how do you learn a new trick? Uh, any, the same way you would learn any other skill. You, you mean I'm having specifically? I'm believing this, oh, but go ahead. Books. It's funny. People like Magic's Secret. If you want to learn, it's out there. You can learn. So you can go to the library. You can open a book. The reason that m 
magic is difficult for people to just learn generally is because sometimes you have to kind of know the lingo. Like you might want to look up how a trick's done, but you don't know what it's called. Okay. And so by working with other magicians and showing that you have a serious interest, then they'll be willing to share with you and say, okay, well, if you really want to learn this, oh, that's here's fact, where you can learn that's it. That's where I was going to go. Do people uh, try to uh, not, have, uh, not share their tricks, you know, or is it a pretty open community? Well, a little of both. When you're hanging out with other magicians that are friends of yours at a magic convention, there's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of people wanting to help. We have lectures just like any other type of convention that where they're actually teaching physically the instructions on how to perform something, the moves. Sometimes it's about, it's more general and about the concepts. But there are times when magicians don't even want to share with other magicians when they come up with something new and it hasn't been published or they haven't received credit for it. That sometimes can be a bit annoying because that's the only group we can share with. So for me, it's like group therapy. Like, you're not going to believe how dumb these muggles were. Like, you know, <laughs> you're talking to other magicians so you can share it. So I, I have been sometimes turned off by that fact of a magician going, oh, no, I, uh, I'm not willing to. That's my own invention. Because it's like, who, you can tell me, buddy. I know. I'm a, I can keep a secret. I do this, you know. <laughs> I'm only going to tell the people. You know, from the stage, everything will be no. fine. There's, uh, <laughs> and Shannon, you know, you, I mentioned before, you were so terrific for the radio station. What made you want to take this this job on? You probably didn't, I mean, you weren't somewhere where you saw this. Where right. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, throughout my entire life, four years is about as long as I can handle anything. Really? <laughs> this is an ADD so thing, all right. A, we, we've, we have that in common. <laughs> um, no, but I just read about it and wanted to be a part of it and thought it was something I needed to, to try. And give me visually, are these children in bed or are they kind of in a community no, room? Um, right now what we're doing is in the community room. So the children that are well enough to come in there, whether or not they're hooked up to machines or in a wheelchair, you know, they'll come, some walk in. Um, we're working on raising money to start a bedside initiative to where we do go oh, to wow. the bedsides of children who can't leave. Um, in Chicago, they're doing that on a regular basis at one of the hospitals. And here, we do it a little bit more at one than the others because it seems to be the nature of the patients who are there. <laughs> now it's time to do the checklist, a little part of the show where we uh, take a little break and ask you a quick question you probably wouldn't find on a loan application, something a little more, uh, a little more personal. Uh, Mike, are you a different person at work than you are in the rest of your life? What is a loan application? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually, I'm not really allowed to be, uh, because here's what's, here's what's the thing about being a magician is there really is no off time, and it's kind of it's kind of cool in a way that people see it as not a job but a personality trait. Like nobody introduces you to a lawyer and goes, "Oh, you're a lawyer. Hey, can you uh, litigate some stuff right now? Like, show us some litigation. Are you a doctor? Show us some litigation. Oh, hey, do some surgery for my friends. Wait, come here, guys. He's gonna do some surgery. This guy's a doctor. But when you're, it doesn't matter if you're just walking down the street, you're jogging, you're at the gym. It doesn't matter if you're in your underwear. Hey, it's my buddy. He's a magician. You are expected to prove that. You, yo, you're a magician. Oh, really? I Show think that would be a lot of strain, magic. wouldn't it? It is a strain. I'm, t I'm tired. You're I came tired. here to complain about it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I Call that number in your this. screen. Try to uh, have a fundraiser for Mike. Try locking your keys in your car or something. That's fun. Like, oh, come on, Houdini. What's <laughs> <laughs> the matter? You can't magic it open? Like, leave me alone, buddy. I'm a normal person. <laughs> and then you start a fight, this fight, and all it goes out. But, Janet, what, what's the worst decision you've ever made? Oh, that's a good one. Um... I've, it's been with me for a long time, so it okay. goes way back. So is this kind of a therapeutic thing yes, here? Yes, thank okay. you very much. All right, get on the couch. Yeah, okay. Fine. So when I was a freshman in college, I took the first semester of German. 
I took the second semester of my last senior semester. It was oh. hard. Yeah, you're supposed to take really <laughs> easy things then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, Jen, I almost can't imagine. What was your... <laughs> What was your major in college? Oh, uh, it was art until my dad found out, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then it became communications and with ad advertising. <laughs> you were able to keep that from your dad for, for two years. Oh, yeah. that's terrific! Yeah, yeah. They, uh, so I have an art minor. <laughs> 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 oh, we're proud the way you went in. Now, Janet you. and Mike, uh, let's do a round of one quick question. These are questions that have come in from listeners over the past week. We're going to ask. Uh, you each just won. Okay. Now, Janet, here's a question that came in on Facebook from New Orleans artist and past out-to-lunch guest Katrina Breeze. Uh, Katrina asks, do you have any advice for others interested in comedy as a career path? Oh, that's a, as a career path. Yep. Um, just get out there and do it. Get involved. Go uh, Depending upon the like kind open of mic open mic nights, just go and get really comfortable with your craft. If you're into improv, take some of uh, the new movement, teaches classes for adults right. there. We teach some occasionally. We're not as steady as they are, but just get involved. And it's a very welcoming community. It's a good uh, welcoming community, but they're probably is not anything scarier on the earth. I cannot imagine anything scarier, actually. When you think about it, you've all by yourself, <laughs> you've got a thin pole with a mic. Right. Nowhere to hide. Nowhere to hide. <laughs> I was listening as Michael was talking about the personalities behind the performers, and I was trying to imagine a, a magician that didn't care what you thought about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's secure. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to find a magician that doesn't care what his hair looks exactly. like. Exactly. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I would just, really, my next question is, where do you have your hair done, Mike? Yeah. Uh, they, uh, Mike, we got a few questions, a few versions of the same question. We're going to go with a mashup of Chris Harris and C. Don Williams. Chris and C. Don say, on YouTube, there seems to be a video uh, about how to do every magic trick under the sun, how does that affect magicians? That's a great question. And it does affect magicians in the sense that sometimes we have to change up a routine or an effect based on the fact that the knowledge is out there. However, people still have to pursue it. The f you, you still have to look it up. You still have to know the name of it. You still have to find it. And just because they do... It doesn't mean that everyone else knows the secret. It just means that that's another step toward overcoming that problem if you run into it. So in many situations, somebody who did see a video, who does know a trick, is about to reveal it. And this is where learning improv comes into play because you don't know that's about to take place. But by using improv skills, what I try to do is convince them that they don't know the next step. So ah. by saying something like, oh, you know the old method, or, oh, you saw that video. Yeah, well, we have uh, new magic technology since then. <laughs> you know, we, so, and, uh, and, and, and the rule of yes and in improv comes into play often when it's somebody that's like heckling me because they know a trick. Because I think about, rather than get combative, I think about what is it that they want? How can I say yes and agree with them so they think that they, so they're done with their conversation because they believe that they, they have achieved, uh, which usually is just, Proving that they're know-it-all, proving that they know something, proving that they're you know, they're in the know. Um, and you know, know Mike, I just thought of something. We talk about Type A personalities and people like to be on the stage, but you guys have something else because you also have patience and diligence to do this, to practice the same trick a zillion times, making you different than the guy watching YouTube, right? Well, a lot of times when people think about the the work and the dedication that goes into, especially sleight of hand, it seems so 
unique and, and obscure and bizarre because it's such an uncommon skill. But it's the same thing when you'd say to a piano player, I could never play the piano like you. Well, no, because you haven't. Because you haven't put in 10,000 hours. You haven't sat there yeah. and learned it. And, and, and anything that you want to master, it takes that, that diligence and that patience. And in some cases, it, it takes a, a personality that at some point at least was maybe secluded or excluded themselves and took the time, especially with magic, kind of takes that self-training. Um, there's certain yeah. fields of endeavor that you can't just get to that level in a classroom, you have to have some self-training involved. So this allows me to ask questions I've always wanted to know, like where does the elephant go when it disappears? <laughs> uh, so you want to talk about the elephant not in the room? <laughs> yes, <laughs> the one not in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Janet Wilson, uh, Mike Dardon, now you see it, now you don't. That's it for this week's Out to Lunch. It's really illuminating to meet New Orleanians who are doing things many of us know little or nothing about. This has been a fascinating and fun conversation. Thanks, both of you, for taking the time to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Janet Wilson, Executive Director of Funny Bones Improv, and magician Mike Dardon. You can find out more about Mike's magic and Janet's comedy for kids by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and www.no.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Matthew Ellison. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's music, including his latest record, Puzzle, is at MitchellForeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and this week it is really worth it to check this out, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for It's New Orleans com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp.